0: listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So for the fourth Sunday in a row, the lectionary has us read an extended episode from the Gospel according to John, an episode marked by lots of dialogue in which Jesus says one thing and the others only partially understand what he's trying to tell them. Now, all four of these Lenten Gospels are unique to John and all four present a Jesus who is very much in control. It is as if John, writing later than the other three Gospel writers, is so clear about who he believes Jesus is, that he almost can't help but present a Jesus who comes with equal clarity. He's always in control, and he all but orchestrates each step of every scene. Now remember, in in the Gospel according to Mark, the Spirit is said to drive Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days of solitude, we well, just can't imagine John using that kind of language. Jesus isn't driven by anything. He's kind of in perfect harmony already with the fullness of God's presence. And so, as John tells this story of the raising of Lazarus, he gives us a picture of a Jesus who knows precisely what's unfolding before him. At one level, the point that John is trying to make is quite simple. As Robert Ferrer Capon once quipped, Jesus never meets a corpse that doesn't sit right up on the spot. He's come to save the last, the least, the lost, and the little, and by his very presence to raise the dead. So there's Jairus' daughter. There's the son of the widow of Nain, and now here there's Lazarus. It's an easy sermon, preacher. Someone dies. Jesus looks with compassion at those who are grieving. And in that compassion, he restores that life. What more needs to be said? Well, in the case of this story, I think we really need to contend with some of the details that John John, such a careful and poetic, observant writer, details that only he offers to his readers. As this story opens, Jesus receives a message from Mary and Martha, his friends. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus, their brother, is ill. Now the Greek word translated here as love is phileas, friendship love. And I think that's actually quite notable. It isn't agape, agape, that selfless and self giving love which we typically associate with Jesus and in fact with God all the way through the New Testament. No, it's not that kind of love. Instead, it's this word that signals a more Personal and intimate sort of bond. Friendship in the ancient world was a very high virtue. Your beloved friend is in trouble. He's sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. I'm not sure I like that. Lazarus' illness is all for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'm not sure I like that either because it seems to turn that man's illness, this friend's dying, into a sort of an object lesson. And in case there was any doubt about this, in the next section, Jesus says so very clearly to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Hmm. So off they go. As they get closer to Bethany, Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And she comes out with a bit of an edge, right? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? We've seen you restore others to health. This is Lazarus, for pity's sake. This is your friend. then she continues with a statement that seems to hang somewhere between deep faith and desperate hope. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. This point, John is still offering a picture of a very composed Jesus. A Jesus very much in control of things. And that Jesus turns and says to her, Your brother will rise again. To this, Martha replies with a statement that sounds almost like something learned by rote from a catechism. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's been well taught. This was the theology of the Pharisaic movement within Judaism. That in the last day, the dead would be raised. This was the Judaism that clearly formed St. Paul and in all likelihood, Jesus too. We can assume it's also the Judaism of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who believed that for the faithful that there was a future beyond death. And so she says, I know that he will be raised, resurrected in the last day. Here, Reynolds Price comments that With words as prized as any in the New Testament, Jesus makes her the promise that anyone bereaved of a loved one wants. Your brother will rise again. I'm the resurrection and the life. Who trusts in me, even if he should die, will live. It's again so calmly spoken. And Martha manages to really hear him. Yes, she says, I believe. She goes past her sort of, her rote learned uh, statement about the resurrection in the final day and she looks at him and she says, yes, I believe. Then as they draw closer to the tomb, the other sister, Mary, sees him. She knelt at his feet, John says, and she said to him, Lord, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It's a little bit of a challenge again, but this time it's from a woman who's on her knees in tears, weeping. It's different. Doesn't feel like it has the edge that Martha's words did when she came way out to meet him, but instead it's marked by the deepest sort of grief. Where were you? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the people with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. There's a shift here, right? A distinct shift in his being with them. Greatly disturbed in spirit, he began to weep, and suddenly, for all that John wants us to know, needs us to know that Jesus is the Christ and is in control and knows precisely what he is all about, for all that John proclaims the highest Christ theology of all of the gospel writers, he also finds he can't not show the utter humanness of the man. The Greek word translated here, disturbed, is a word marked by passion, even by anger. Thundered would be the more direct translation. Thundered, his spirit thundered within him. And his tears begin to flow. It is, Reynolds Price says in John, the nearest approach to a human passion shown by this man who is also God. It is actually, I would say, pure passion, born of deep compassion and a thundering spirit confronted by that woman's grief. Why does Jesus weep? Why does his spirit thunder with an almost angry passion? When they get to the entrance of the tomb, that same word is there again. Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. Why such a powerfully emotional response? Why does John, John ever so careful with all of his words and all of his images and the structuring of his whole gospel, why does John so need us to bear witness to that part in Jesus? Particularly given that everything he described up to this point has shown Jesus as being so utterly in control. You know what triggered his tears? and that thunderous response in the very depths of his being. It's Mary's agonizing grief. With Martha, there had been that edge in her voice, followed by a a typical sort of theological repartee that's so much a part of John's gospel. But with Mary, she just fell to her knees, weeping, slain by grief over the death of her brother. Where were you, Jesus? And I think John wants us to know that Mary's grief and tears in that moment broke his heart. I think John wants us to see that though Jesus had been able to say so very calmly to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe he also had to confront the deep, huge, deep pain that this had all caused to those sisters. It is seeing the crippling sorrow that puts Mary on her knees that releases our Savior's own tears and sets his own soul in turmoil. And I almost wonder if at this point He himself would have had to ask, You're right, Mary, where was I? I am so deeply grateful that John includes the tears and the thunder and the passion. He could have shown Jesus just floating above all of the human emotions, the grief and then related a a startling and victorious story about the raising of a dead man. He could have, but he didn't. He gave us a teary-eyed Jesus, with a troubled thunder coursing through his soul. He gave me a Jesus I can recognize, one I can love and can follow, and so I do on account of the tears and the thunder in the soul of my Savior, on account of the blessed humanness of the Christ, I can follow. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.